a lot of the government agencies, because I used to work for the EPA, so I kind of know you're, they're going to select the lowest bidder unless uh, um, you, they can justify why they're selecting someone with a higher bid. All right, everyone, welcome back to Sales Biz. I appreciate everyone taking the time. Before we get started, folks, you know the drill. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Uh, like this uh, specific episode. If you have any feedback at all, drop some comments for us down below. Today, my guest is from Southern California. This man is an environmentalist. My first environmentalist on the show. I'm super excited to have him share his knowledge. Uh, he is one of the co-founders and the lead lab director of AETL, American Environmentalist Testing Laboratory. And I'm super excited to have him. Full transparency is also a good family friend. So go easy on him, folks. Mr. Joe Severin, welcome, sir. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate you taking the time, Joe. So let's kick it off. Uh, let's talk a little bit before we go into the actual company where you're at and how things are coming. Let's kick it off with your past, Joe. How did you get into the environmentalist space? Um, well, it was a long time ago. And uh, um, uh, way back in the uh, 1990, actually. And uh, um, I was a, a chemist out of school and I had a buddy that uh, I was starting up uh, uh, an environmental business and uh, uh, he was a, he was in the laboratory at the time. And uh, uh, so he gave me a call and uh, um, we started this lab more or less. Um, so we got uh, the, the equipment on sixty thousand uh, um, dollars of uh, uh, leased equipment, and we had no clients. But uh, um, I went out and started hitting the pavement and uh, started bringing them in, and uh, um, came up with a little uh, um, uh, unique uh, um, offering in our business. Uh, more or less, I had a little ping pong table and I would bring it out to the site and uh, with one of my pieces of equipment and I was screening samples in the field for the clients. And it was something that no one was really doing. So they loved it. And so they started using our lab because of that, more or less. And, and within a year, we were able to move to a, from a small little uh, office to a big laboratory and we started growing from there. You should have just called it ping pong lab and really had some fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was one of those old green ping pong tables. It was my table out in the field that yeah. I could carry, carry from my car to the field. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So I hope this doesn't offend you, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, kids you know, usually like playing in the mud, the dirt. How did you develop a passion for something like that all the way into adulthood? It's core sampling. That's, that's very unique. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, I've always had a fascination for geology and, and rocks and uh, um, playing in the mud. And uh, um, and uh, uh, the fun thing about this one was the, the, the mud that I was uh, um, getting, I was able to uh, sample and make money out of it. So uh, the mud turned into gold after a while. So it was uh, um, not real gold, but it turned into the green green cash that that sustained this uh, business for the last thirty years. 
So you're that guy we all talk about in the sales world, the guy that could swear to turn mud into gold. Nice <laughs> yeah, to finally meet so. you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's been a fun journey. I mean, uh, um a lot of times uh, we could go to sites and uh, um I would be able to sniff out where the contamination was so we could sample it and remove it and uh, um, make the site uh, acceptable again and environmentally safe. But in the process of that, we were making money doing it. Amazing. Now, is there some sort of schooling that you have to go through or some sort of uh, permit or license, I guess, do you have to practice what you do or can you just kind of dive into it? Um, yeah, more or less than, uh, um, you more or less have to, uh, in the, in the lab biz, you more or less have to have a, a chemistry degree or some type of chemistry technician degree or an environmental, uh, degree, some type of, uh, um, environmental background or chemistry background to uh, get involved in the uh, environmental world that, that will help you. If you're not, it's going to be very difficult to, uh, to do. I mean, there are people that have done it, but to, to help you, it would probably be best to have a, some type of environmental or chemistry degree. Got it. So who's, uh, when you started this business, Joe, and obviously you've branched off into numerous uh, divisions, but tell us a little bit about the target market uh, an overall sales cycle type. What does that look like in this specific industry? Yeah, there's different target markets, um, which uh, makes it uh, a lot very interesting um, because a, a lot of things happen in the world and in your immediate uh, uh, environment where you can actually um, use the environmental industry to uh, capture uh, that market. Um, for example, there's like wastewater, there's drinking water, soil, there's air sampling. And then now that there's all these fires in California, the fires create a lot of, uh, um, damage to the properties as well as, uh, um, uh, leaving, uh, all the ash and all the contamination behind. So that all has to be cleaned up. You've got air monitoring while they're cleaning it up. And then you also have the samples that they're, they're disposing of as the waste, as well as uh, proving that they removed it all. So uh, um, there's a lot of different, different things uh, um, now also with the plastics that have uh, just uh, come to fruition as far as being uh, um, uh, contamination in the, almost in every body, human body in the world, people are eating plastic and it's creating some type of uh, health, exposing people to health conditions that they haven't experienced before. And so there's now there's tests that we can test to see how much plastic is in the soil and in the water. And uh, um, it's uh, uh, beneficial to a laboratory, environmental laboratory, finding uh, different things um, to ex explore and to test, to find out more about it. Gotcha. So sales cycle wise, you know, let's say I'm a government entity or maybe even, you know, a nonprofit looking to get some core sampling done. What does the process usually look like? 
Yeah. So yeah, there's a uh, government entities or uh, actually we have a lot of clients that are government entities and uh, um, uh, they're the best clients to pursue just for the fact that uh, you know that you get paid. Um, <laughs> really? Is that the case? Yeah. Is that usually, really the case? Usually, usually, usually. Because I have my thoughts on that one as well, Joe, but we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> But uh, um, as far as our experience so far, that's been the case. But uh, um, the uh, there are the the nonprofits that, that actually uh, call you and ask ask for guidance um, and ask for a big discount to help them. Um, I have no problem helping out the the non nonprofits and uh, um, and uh, uh, seeing their success as well. Because if they're successful, somehow we're successful as well. So, uh, um, yeah, all different factors. Even the environmental consultants are a big uh, um, business for us, as well as uh, um, different uh, uh, school districts. We're testing all their water for lead. Um, a lot of uh, the uh, ports and uh, uh, public work agencies. All, all sorts of different uh, government agencies will uh, be involved with some type of environmental issues that will need sampling. What does the procurement process, though, look like? Because I know yeah, I've, I've done some government contra- uh, contracts myself and uh, the background, uh, the reviews, the RFPs, you know, that, that could be a pretty tedious process. What does that look like in your specific industry? Yeah, it's the same. It's I'd the imagine. Same. Yeah, yeah. It's we go through a bidding process, and uh, um, the bids are, uh, especially government jobs, are huge. Uh, the whole uh, package to deliver the um, the package to uh, um, the bidders, and uh, um, there's a lot of requirements, and you spend a lot of time, and there's no guarantee that you're going to win it. And it's very cost sensitive. So you're not going to make a lot of money, but you, you're hoping on the fact that you're going to make money in the long run by doing a, a volume. Yeah. So a lot of the government agencies, because I used to work for the EPA, so I kind of know you're, they're going to select the lowest bidder unless uh, um, you, they can justify why they're selecting someone with a higher bid. Sometimes they can and get away with it. But uh, um, usually it's going to be the low bidder. So you have to be able to draw your uh, line in the sand and determine how, how low you can go and still make money. Yeah, absolutely. So we just talked about the legal process, the government and nonprofits and all that good stuff. Let's take a little to the dark side. What about the alcohol side of the world or even funny, the green tobacco? I mean, it's California. We're talking core sampling after all. Any dabbling in that industry, pun intended? Alcohol, actually, uh, um, we plan on getting into um, some food and alcohol in the future. We're get, going through an accreditation process nice. so we can start testing for the food industry, which includes the microbreweries and uh, vineyards. Alcohol. And yeah, and uh, tobacco, cannabis. Um so that's right around the corner for us. We're, we're 
getting certified to do that. And I know it's going to open up a lot of doors and uh, um, increase our revenue dramatically. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully. Now, the government's fortunately printing trillions of dollars. So I'd imagine they're not doing any past notices on your guys' uh, accounts payables. But how has COVID, let's just address a big elephant in the room, how has COVID impacted uh, account payables and overall business uh, ever since its fruition? Yeah, yeah. COVID has definitely impacted us. I'd um, imagine so. Yeah, it's uh, um, there's less people out doing sampling and a lot of projects have gotten delayed. Now, when COVID first hit, it was... Uh, um, it was a significant to us because all the companies were working from home. So we could not call accounts payable person in the office, to find out where our, our check was <laughs> to get paid because no one was in the office anymore. So it took a while to find out where those people were and to contact them. And for the, for the companies actually to develop a system to pay their vendors. So uh, uh, for first couple months of COVID, it was very tough. And uh, um, it was uh, uh, thankful that the PPP uh, loans did, did finally help out. And uh, um, it, I think it did help out the industry. Got it. Now, what about in terms of future growth? Um, has that trumped in any way, shape, or form in terms of growing your business or impacted your target specifically, or are things still pretty much up to speed? Um, growth, um, actually, uh, um, we are planning on uh, growing, um, even in this uh, time of COVID. Yeah, so uh, we're going through a, a process for accreditation to increase our uh, um, capacity to do more, but it, it is very, uh, how would you say, uh, stressful because uh, um, you're dealing with COVID situation and uh, uh, the employees uh, uh, working in an environment that is not comfortable to them, as well as uh, um, dealing with uh, uh, less revenue coming in and then uh, um, having big dreams to uh, uh, go after more. So it's, uh, um, it's very uh, uh, stressful, but demanding. And uh, um, I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it will pay off. Absolutely. You've got to keep on the track. Always is. So I've had a bunch of founders, uh, executives go on this podcast, you know, specifically talking about their strategies for attaining funds to keep business afloat. You know, what are some strategies that you've adopted, Joe, within your executive team to say, hey, folks, you know, we still have to keep the lights on, you know, send us something. A any specific thoughts around that? Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, um, we have to uh, uh, primarily, uh, um, I know that in the COVID times that uh, um, you need to, uh, we need to let our clients know that uh, um, we were doing precautions and uh, taking COVID seriously in the lab. And then also uh, um, 
making sure that uh, if they were coming in and dropping off samples, that they would be safe coming into the lab. But we also had to make sure that our employees would be safe. So we had like certain restrictions for wearing the mask and uh, um, using different, uh, um, you know, sanitizers and uh, um, uh, just being more, uh, um, how would you say? Uh, um, uh, cautious of each other's environments. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, cautious and uh, sensitive to each other. And then we, we put out a, a memo on the website, as well as uh, letters to our clients, letting them know that, that our drivers that were picking up the samples were maintaining the COVID restrictions and wearing the mask and the six foot uh, distancing. And uh, um, actually we were coming up with a strategy. A lot of our, our couriers uh, send out, go and pick up samples in coolers. And they bring them back. A lot of times the guys, uh, you show up on the site with a cooler, they think you're bringing in some beer. But uh, um, <laughs> you're actually just there to pick up their samples. So, uh, um, hey, it wouldn't be hurt, you know, you could bring samples and beer. Why not? There you it's go. It's like your little uh, ping pong niche you had to start <laughs> yeah. the business. So, <laughs> but yeah, bring so, a case along, my friend. Just do there it. You go. <laughs> So yeah, a lot of times we, we send the, the coolers with the containers that they're gonna collect all the samples with. So primarily we were coming up with an idea to, to uh, put in some uh, gloves and, and some sanitizer and uh, uh, a mask for the client in a little package in the cooler. So that way showing that we're more uh, um, sensitive to their, their health and needs while in the field. And uh, um, well, I'm thinking that uh, uh, doing things like that just shows uh, that we're more service oriented and uh, um, we're just not here just to, uh, you know, just be another lab. We're going beyond and above to uh, try to generate a relationship as well as uh, um, uh, get their business. Is, does it make sense to have like a niche industry in this? I mean, like a niche target market in this industry, like being the core lab testing facility that only does cannabis or only does alcohol. Do you feel like that helps it or yeah, there's a majority yeah, there are, of it pretty out there? Yeah, no, no. There are certain tests that uh, um, actually we have a couple tests that uh, um, my uh, uh, CEO has uh, 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 bought some instruments for me to create a niche. And, uh, um, and for example, uh, there's an extraction that takes 18 hours to do and you don't make very much money on it. And so uh, normally let's say- The overhead, sorry, the overhead is way expensive. The, the overhead is way Yeah, so yeah. So let's say, for example, there's a test that costs $100 to do. But let's say they, the, the client wants to do this special extraction that's added to the test. So a lot of, it takes 18 hours to do that special extraction. So we were able to wow. go buy an instrument that instead of taking 18 hours only takes now two hours to do. 
So none of the labs want to do it. So all the other labs that get their samples, send them to us besides getting samples from our clients. So we've got a little niche on that, on that little test right there. And so we were able to increase the cost because no one else wants to do it. And we have kind of a lock on the industry right now in Southern California for it, which uh, um, is kind of exciting <laughs> for me. <laughs> any, any thought about starting to sell that machine and also getting a possible revenue share? <laughs> I mean, why not establish the partnership? There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I was also, we were also uh, um, uh, thinking about as far as uh, um, the laboratory business in the environmental world is very cutthroat. And we have uh, clients that have been our clients for the last 30 years. But every time they get a project, they call us up and ask for a bid. And you're like, come on, man. It's, it's the same. It, I mean, we've been working Typical together. Game. Yeah. So anyway, so, so we give them the cost and all that. So sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. So I feel bad when we lose because they're giving their samples to another lab. But so I was thinking that there's no other lab that, that has a rewards program. So I was thinking of uh, starting up some type of rewards program for loyal customers. So they're going to, they're going to get, you know, like uh, tickets for their family to Disneyland or, you know, tickets to Laker game or a um, good bottle of scotch or something like that. You know, if they, you know, spend like $10,000 and $20,000, whatever it is. Um, so, they will want to get those points. So they won't want to use another lab. They'll want to keep using us because once they start getting those points, they'll want to finish it. It becomes wanna, addicting. Yeah. Yeah. It's addicting. And also. Uh, um, so rewards programs are good. Have you thought about subscription at all? Just subscribing for a specific thing. Subscription. Long-term subscriptions works well. I work in the subscription space and I tell you, it's very, Lucrative because you know ties people to a specific product and ongoing revenues. No, that's a great well. idea. We should look into that. <laughs> well, you know where to find me, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate yeah. the insight. It's a great idea. So, uh, last question for you, Joe. You know, how does a founder scale in this market? What what are your best advice for someone that has been owning a business for quite some time, went through an acquisition, and now is going through the worst pandemic ever? What advice would you have for that specific persona? Just don't give up. Um, <laughs> um, I, I guess uh, the main thing is, is uh, um, you know, if you've been around for a long time, then the best thing to do is, is to uh, uh, share your knowledge. So if you can share your knowledge and take phone calls from clients when they call in and give them advice on, on how, how you would sample or uh, uh, try to help them uh, uh, cut corners somehow and, and make, make their, their um, sampling or whatever they're doing more uh, um, beneficial for them. 
Um, I think yeah, uh, it goes it goes a long way. And then also uh, um, mentoring your team to uh, um, show them that that uh, um, they need to uh, communicate well as well as uh, um, be dedicated to what they're doing, and then uh, enjoy your job and not just uh, come in and get a check. It's um, life is more to it than that. So, uh, um, yeah, I think uh, just sharing, sharing your experiences and uh, um, uh, helping, helping any way you can, I think goes a long way. And people really respect that. And they, they come back and want more. And that's how uh, uh, I feel that you can also increase your relationship with your clients. Absolutely. Well said, my friend. Well, Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time and all the insight. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Continue crushing it out there. I know your industry, just like a lot of other industries are impacted, but uh, keeping the lights on and doing what you do best, it seems like uh, you know exactly that specific path. So kudos to you, my friend, and please don't forget to stay in touch. All right. We'll do, Mike. Thanks for everything. You're the best. Thank you. Bye. I appreciate it. (laughs)